This podcast is shareable. Shareable is the podcast fueled entirely by curiosity. Every episode features exciting guests who share valuable advice and insights, how-to guides, and practical takeaways. Join me as I explore the awe-inspiring stories about overcoming the odds, the secret formulas that gave each guest their unique superpower, and the moments that remind us of our shared humanity. Get ready to be excited, delighted, and possibly even astonished, because this podcast is shareable. Today on Shareable, I'm excited to share this conversation with my guest, Mark Silverman. Mark, for those that are not familiar with you just yet, first of all, shame on them. But for those that aren't, <laughs> what are a few things that are important for people to know about you? Most important thing ever to know about me is I'm the dad to uh, Zach and Jake Silverman, uh, just two of the finest young men I've ever known. And they came from me. So that's really cool. Nailed uh, it. You know, that's, that, that, that's a huge thing. Uh, the other is, uh, like with, like you, I've succeeded with ADHD and it's kind of amazing that we're able, we're capable of doing those things, but I'm an executive coach. Uh, I work with uh, senior leaders in, in companies and, uh, I, I speak, I write, I have a podcast and basically I'm just trying to make sure that people don't trade their relationships, their lives, their health, their mental health for being in the 1%. I absolutely love it. Uh, I'm aligned with all of those. Let's go a little deeper. You also have written some books. Uh, what are the titles of all of your books? Because you, you're a multi-time author. I've only got one on, under my belt, but you've got a few. So what are the uh, books you've written? So Only Tens was written you know, in 2015, then rewritten uh, two years ago uh, in 2.0 version. And that's my you know, Only Tens, uh, Confront Your To-Do List, Transform Your Life. And that's my life as an entrepreneur. Uh, and an executive coach with ADHD, which translated to leadership skills that are needed in you know in the in the world. Uh, and my latest book is called The Rising Leader Handbook: uh, Turning High Achievers into Effective Leaders, and that's going to be coming out in June. Got it. And didn't you also have the Rising Leaders before the Rising Leaders Handbook? Did I read no. that somewhere? I thought I read somewhere that you had the Rising. Le no, you have the Rising Leader Podcast. Rising Leader Podcast. I have a, a fourteen-week course, the Rising Leader. Got it. Uh, every, everything I do is the rising leader. Now we've, uh, we've finally figured out, you know, after at 60 years old, I figured out exactly what it is I do for a living. There's no way you're 60 or 60 years old. You are lying right to my face. You look like you are like uh, maybe a couple years older than me. Like, what are you doing with your fitness and skin routine? My man, that's when we turn this around. That's when we turn this around and we, and I get to interview you to talking about being superhuman. Oh, uh, we're, we're, yeah, we're what do I have to be to be this guy? It's, yeah. you know, what do I have to sacrifice to be this guy? It's pizza and alcohol. <laughs> oh, two fantastic things. Pizza more so than alcohol, but yeah, pizza. So good. Anyway, we could, we, we could get lost in that rabbit hole. Cause I started thinking about pizza. Um, let me ask you the big question. Here's the big question. I feel like you're a guy that likes big questions. You seem like one that's ready to tackle one. So here's the big question for you. What is the dent you wish to make in the universe? I want people to know that they're okay. Like I, 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 I'm supposedly an executive coach and teach hard-nosed leadership skills and all that. I want people to know they're okay. I think people uh, are really struggling and they just don't know when they compare themselves to the world, they lose. And uh, it breaks my heart. And I, I just want people to understand that they're winning and they're worthwhile and they're loved. That's what I care about. 
neurodivergent to neurodivergent here. How much of that perspective do you think comes from growing up with ADHD and not feeling like you're okay? Uh, everything comes from from my own from my own experience. My worldview comes from my own experience. So my not feeling like I I fit in, my not feeling good enough, my not you know the whole ADHD like I'm lazy and why why can't I focus and all that stuff. Um, it, it was my self hatred uh, and overcoming all of those things. Uh, that inform what I want to bring into the world. Of course, my deepest wounds are my gifts to the world. Yeah, I've I've found I have uh, another podcast called Rogue, and obviously I talk a lot about superpowers and superheroes, and and it's pretty clear to me that almost all uh, super abilities and overcoming odds all comes from trauma. That there is some sort of uh, darkness that needs to be dealt with and confronted and overcome to be able to rise from that and uh and become something new um so i want to learn more about that story and what that is for you because you mentioned that a lot of all of what you do really comes from your background so let's get into your origin story um i read a little bit about you and there's a component of your story that i'd imagine you'll tell and i'm really curious about it so why don't you tell us how'd you get here so give me the the sort of three stops along the station to present day um How'd you get here? Uh, so when I was growing up, my mother told me I, I could do anything I wanted. I was going to be the first Jewish president of the United States uh, and, and that I was special in every way. And I proved her absolutely correct by turning into a drug addict and an alcoholic and, you know, and becoming homeless by the time I was 27. Uh, so that was that was really on the trajectory of where I am today. Uh, I got sober in 1989. So I'm 33 years sober now. Yeah. And uh, my brother, uh, who just passed away, uh, got me sober, had me go to college, had me go to the gym, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of set things up. And over the years, I got, um, I got sober, I got healthy. Uh, I went to college, I got uh, a job as a sales guy, uh, even though I'm a rabid introvert and don't like to bother people. I had a knack for it. So uh, I went from $26,000 a year. I wound up getting married to a woman who I told her, I said, I may never be more than a waiter. Uh, if you're going to marry me, I may never be anything more than a waiter. You know, my family's restaurant business, I don't, I don't know. And I wound up, you know, doubling my income in sales to $52,000 a year, then doubling it again the next year to $125,000, then doubling it again. And all of a sudden now whiplash uh, I'm in the 1%, <laughs> uh, going from homeless to 1%, you know, basically being a short Jewish Tony Robbins. Uh, and, uh, and that started the first trajectory of, of success and finding out what it is I'm capable of. That didn't last uh, because I, there was a lot on the inside that didn't change, right? So I, when I, I had a, a podcast called Mastering Midlife, and it was, um, you know, how to thrive when the world asks the most of you. And the premise of that is the drives and motivations that get you to be super successful in your 20s and 30s turn on you in your 40s and 50s. So they're often not from, like those origin stories, they're often not from healthy places. And if you haven't dealt with that stuff, they're going to start to crack and turn on you because you may have your ladder against the wrong wall. You may be, you know, have a persona that doesn't fit you, but you thought you were supposed to be and all that stuff you're with a partner and all of a sudden they're a stranger. What all, what is all this going on? So that happened to me uh, in about 20, 2008, 2009, my marriage started falling apart. All of a sudden I couldn't, 
uh, I couldn't sell anymore. And my health started to deteriorate and I started having panic attacks. So I was full blown in midlife crisis. And that's, that's, I think, where the superhero story comes because I lost it all so stone cold sober. My career, my health, my family, all uh, in the span of a year. And, uh, and I couldn't understand because I didn't take a drink. Uh, why, why did that all go? And it was because the inside just couldn't sustain that level of success. Uh, when I, when I built myself back, uh, it was, it was with the intention of building a whole new person, a different kind of person. And, uh, and I, the first thing I did was I, I decided to run the Marine Corps marathon, uh, because I was suicidal. I wanted to die. I thought I was going to die. I was diagnosed that I was going to die all this stuff. And I wanted to let my kids know what you do with it, with adversity. So I made the decision that I was going to make a million dollars. I was going to run the Marine Corps marathon. I was going to give $60,000 to charity. Uh, and that year I ran the Marine Corps marathon, even though I couldn't run a mile, I trained for the marathon and ran the mile or ran it. Uh, I made the million dollars and I gave the money to charity. On the other side of that was, you know, a guy who was now healthy. His career was on track. The family was doing better. Uh, I still hated myself, but I wasn't suicidal anymore. Uh, and each year as I, as I, studied every self-help book, every spiritual book, right? Every, every YouTube video that I could find on something substantive. I just fed my soul with that, uh, started my journaling and contemplation and meditation practices and really deliberately built a whole new person, uh, with the premise that one thing Pema Troden once said, you know, when tragedy strikes, you can either harden and close or soften and open. And I made the conscious decision that this Mark was going to have an open heart, was going to reach back behind him and help anybody who needed help. Uh, and it was just, it was the most humbling thing. Uh, so my success on the other side was a completely different thing. It's really interesting. So many of the things that resonated with me there. One, I distinctly remember telling my first wife that I might never be anything more than a waiter. So <laughs> kudos to those of us out there who uh, who who had the self-awareness to say such a thing um, and 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 the the humility to even say it. Um, so I, I resonate with that. But there's so much in that that like really resonates. There's the whole idea of like the um, the gifted kid to burnout pipeline that we have in this, uh, this world is a lot among us, uh, among our neurodivergent brothers and sisters out there. Um, where like, you know, it seems like it's all working. And then at some point, those things that were working for you throughout school up to a certain point where you have to then manage in a different context, all sudden starts to fall apart. And you made me think of, it's funny because I was thinking about this a couple of days ago, I was on a podcast early when I had started my first agency and the things that were helping me to be successful was like, I was like, I was grinding, I was hustling, I was putting in the hours, you know, I was selling, I was learning and I was using my fear as fuel. I, and I remember that was the title of the episode of the podcast was called hacking the entrepreneur. And I talked about using fear as fuel. And I, I wore that as a badge of honor for so many years that that's my thing, right? That I can turn my fear into fuel. And when you mentioned the point about the things that made you successful in that first, you know, your twenties and thirties, that when you're then in your forties, and especially, I think this is resonating with me now, especially because I have two young ones, 
when you have kids, um, I can't use Ferris fuel anymore. That doesn't work the same way anymore because I need to be able to show up in a different way in the new context of my life. And I also just don't have the same energy that I did then. I don't have that. And I've learned more <laughs> and I've, you know, I, I know more about what are the consequences of when you keep yourself, you know, with cortisol coursing through your veins at all times, what that does to the relationships and the people around you. So it, it really resonated with me that, um, that you've had that experience and also that you had these moments where you kind of checked in with yourself and said like, well, what am I going to do here? Especially, you know, you've, you just laid out several very, very dark timelines for yourself, uh, that you've experienced and that in the midst of those, you somehow found your way back either through the, the help of others or through just deciding to, to, you know, take a, take a, take things in a different direction for yourself that, that you kind of brought yourself back. Right. So, all of these experiences that you've had have kind of led you to a realization about yourself. I'm curious then what comes next with your story in terms of how you, you take that learning, you take what you've learned. Obviously you haven't got it all figured out. You seem to me to be a very humble person that is in an always on learning mindset that like clearly like, you haven't got it figured out, but you figured out some things and that's probably a lot of what you coach on. I'm curious how you made the pivot from the point where you know, you go from suicidal to running the marathon, making the million dollars, donating to charity on the other side, still dealing with stuff. And there's a gap between that mark and this mark. And, and there's a gap between this mark and future mark. And I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I want to talk about the gap between that mark and this mark. So the gap was, uh, I went, yeah, I, I love describing it because the first year after the marathon, I didn't want to kill myself. The second year, uh, the, you know, after the marathon, it was like, okay, it's okay to live third year after the marathon. I was like, all right, I'll live till Jake, my younger son, uh, graduates high school. Uh, which is funny. Cause I, the year he graduated high school, I ended up in the hospital for nine days and almost died again. Uh, I forgot to take that little, um, agreement with the universe oh, back. I didn't realize that until afterwards, but then the next year I was like, I like myself next year. And then, and then I was reading a book by Alan Cohen. Uh, and he wrote, are you as happy as your dog? And he wrote a book called relax into wealth. Uh, and in it, it says, um, you know, are you at the top of your own list? You know, do you treat, how do you treat yourself the way you treat everybody else in your life? And I was like, top of the list. I'm not even on the list. Right. My ex-wife lives in the million dollar house. I bought her a brand new Toyota Highlander and a baby grand piano as a consolation for our divorce. You know, like I felt guilty. I had seven dollar Ikea tables in my apartment. Right. And um, and I, so I got to thinking like I, I was a precious child, like, oh, my God, like to have that thought about myself, like I was a precious child. I deserve love. You know, not like deserved, but like I get to be loved. Mm -hmm. And uh, and once that hit, I was like an ex-smoker. Like everybody needs to know that they're loved and lovable and worthwhile. Everybody. Oh my God, do you got and I wanted to go around and tell people, did you know? Did you know that you're worthy of love? Oh my, because I didn't know. And once I found that out, then I then it was off to the races because after I read that book. I signed up for one of Alan's um, retreats, spiritual retreat for my 50th birthday. And uh, for my 50, uh, and I, I decided to finally do something in his retreats in Hawaii. And he calls me and he says, Mark, this is Alan, uh, Alan Cohen. And I'm like, why, why is this famous author calling me? And uh, he says, uh, 
spirit told me to call you because spirit thinks that you should be in my coaching program. And I'm like, what's coaching? <laughs> uh, and he tells me what coaching is. I'm like, okay, but I'm a sales guy. He's like, well, yeah, but this will make you a better salesman. It'll make you a better father. All that, you know, like you should do this coaching program because spirit told me. Uh, and he says, if you don't like it, I'll give you all your money back. You can go to my other program for free. I just have to do a spirit test. So I start doing his coaching program and it was like, holy shit, this is who I've been, not just what I do, it's who I've been my entire life. This is, you know, my, my life has always been trying to help other people succeed, trying to help other people be their best, trying to help other people get healthy, trying to always, always doing that. And I was talking to my ex-wife who depended on me because we kept her home with the kids until they graduated high school. She depended on me. She said, Mark, I have, uh, we have been, you know, I've been telling you, you need to teach corporations what you do. And we thought it was HR. We thought it was this, but then I had to make a half million dollars a year just to keep everything going. You know, I had elderly parents I was taking care of, like, you know, you know, the pressures of all that stuff. Like I couldn't take a job like that. And she says, this coaching thing is exactly what I've been talking about. You should do that. Uh, and I wound up leaving a half million dollar a year job and hanging out my shingle to be a coach to, uh, because you know, all I wanted, all I wanted to do was make an impact on the world. That is amazing. Uh, that is ballsy as all hell. It was dumb. Uh, like I tell people, I tell other coaches, listen, if you can keep your job and coach on the weekend, yeah, keep yeah. Coaching, yeah, absolutely. Keep your health insurance, pay, you know, like I didn't do that shit. I was yeah. like, do not attempt go. these stunts at home, please, <laughs> uh, listeners. Um, one thing that occurred to me that I'm um, really curious about when you talked about the journey of going from like hating yourself to maybe loving yourself and loving that, 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 that journey you uh, talked about in the context of being a person who has spent their entire life trying to help people and being in service of others. I'm curious how relationships changed for you as you changed your relationship to yourself. So um, somewhere in some of the, you know, before we got on and started talking, um, you know, I was looking at various different things that you have out there, your podcast, your videos, website, copy, things you've written, et cetera. And somewhere you wrote something about deep friendships, not feeling alone. Um, and that stuck out and resonated with me for reasons we'll cover later on. But they really stuck with me and I, and I wanted to talk to you about it. And I think the perfect opportunity to talk about is actually how that may have changed or even stayed the same, I'm curious, as your relationship with yourself changed. Sure. So, so I, everybody liked me. Everybody liked Mark. And that was by design codependent, uh, you know, uh, I could twist myself into a pretzel and I could make sure I'm charming enough, even though I'm an introvert, I'm, uh, you know, I can turn on charm. Uh, everybody likes Mark. Problem was Mark was nice. Okay. Mark was resentful. A lot of the time Mark was tired a lot of the time, like, but, but Mark had to be nice at all costs. Mark didn't set boundaries. Mark didn't ask for what he wanted. Right. Mark didn't speak his truth. Mark, you know, you didn't, you know, you really didn't know really who Mark was. And that's how my book came about. You know, it, it's, it's that, that getting honest with people, you know, putting, putting, putting myself on the list, uh, saying no to someone, uh, setting a boundary and, uh, and those kinds of things 
shifted all of my relationships to where I went from being this lovable guy that everybody likes to a guy who, who everybody respects, who can trust what I have to say, knows where I'm coming from, right? And, and can have honest exchanges with people. So I have very honest relationships now. And I have very deep, unshakable relationships because they're based on, on me speaking whatever my truth is at the moment, asking for what I want, which is the hardest thing for me. It's still hard for me to ask for help for things. Uh, so that's, that's, that's the difference in my relationships now. Got it. And did that extend? Um, I know, you know, that covering like professional relationships and friendships is one thing, but you know, you mentioned ex-wife, ex-wife, and you know, you've mentioned that a couple of times. I'm curious how you reflect upon your romantic relationship and, and, you know, romantic partnerships, uh, in the context of those changes as well. Um, did you notice a, a similar shift or is it even deeper and more profound when it comes to somebody who's a life partner, somebody that you're spending raising kids with or anything like that? So, so yeah, my ex-wife and I are close and we get along way better now than we did when we were married. Uh, um, we're both each other's champion. Uh, um, I also, I have a, I have a husband now, <laughs> so, uh, that's a, that's a plot twist. Uh, and, uh, yeah, well, I mean, no, it, and it sounds to me like that might also be potentially something getting to better know yourself, accept parts of yourself, et cetera. So. Well, that, that was, that was part of the suit being suicidal, mm-hmm. uh, way back when was when I decided this is where, you know, I was the committee chair for the boy scouts. I was third grade basketball coach, right? Like I had this, I was this guy and now I'm this other guy, like, like in that, you know, having, having to deal with that was in, in learning to my, love myself that way. And then telling my kids, cause I was so close to my sons telling my kids, I wanted to take a bullet to the brain rather than tell, you know, anything that would separate me and my teenage boys. Right. Mm-hmm. And my boy, my sons, my sons are incredible. So they're, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very, very fortunate. Uh, so, so yeah, so my, you know, I show up in my relationships now, right. I set boundaries. I ask for what I want mostly. Right. I still fall into my own patterns and I watch, you know, I, it's, it's so interesting how sp- strong the patterns are. I can be so aware of my helper characteristics and I help in order to not be seen. Right. So I, I understand, and I watch myself do it over and over again. Then I have to snap out of it and say, no, I actually have needs. What you just laid out over the entire time we've been talking so far is what I would consider like really masterful self-awareness. Um, and I don't know how much of that was conscious and how much of that was just a product of necessity. Um, both. yeah, I, I mentioned the, combination the, the, of the alternative was, was absolutely flaming out. Yeah. Mark, what Mark was not going to be a, uh, government worker, $150,000 a year, you know, no blips in the radar. Mark was yeah. either going to fucking triumph, excuse yeah. me. Uh, or he was going yeah. to be, asterisk no like, i feel you there man. was there I, was I there that. was no middle ground for me yeah no you resonate with me so hardcore about that because i'm like an all or nothing kind of guy also there's i'm psychologically unemployable um and you know a hundred hundred percent all in on the things i want to do and and i i also like to think of myself as a very self-aware person i spend a lot of time thinking about you know kind of doing retrospectives on behaviors and incidents in my life and trying to think and grow and learn from it so i really appreciate that and now that you're in this space where you're an executive coach, so I, I think this is a lot of really good context for where I want to take the conversation next, which is to understand how these experiences have shaped how you're working with executives, the things that you see in them, how you help them maybe unearth and get clear on things that were traumatic for them that they had overcome, 
or um, ways that they need to accept themselves. Cause you, at the beginning, you said um, that what you want people to understand is that they're okay. And I, it's such a, it's counter to the narrative of who executives are, right? Like executives are supposed to be the ones in charge. They've got it all together. They've got it figured out, but I've, talked with lots of executives and they oftentimes do not and their lives are a mess their marriages might be a mess their relationships with their team members are a mess their second in command might hate their guts like there's all of these things going on and the narrative is that they've got it all together so i'm curious because of the experiences you've had what is your approach when you start working with a new executive do you have a certain starting point that helps you to kind of get real with people because there's a lot of coaches out there and they, you know, maybe they're scaling up and they're uh, EY or, or whatever the other coaching programs are. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have different methodologies. You strike me as someone who has a different way in. I'm curious what that looks like. Yeah. It's, it's all, it's, it's, it's all relationship and it's also human. It's all humanistic. So I, I, I'm, I'm not phased by the corporate world. Uh, I'm not phased by the hierarchy, the the suits, the dresses, the money. The you know, like I, I coach some really wealthy people. Uh, that 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 doesn't um, that doesn't cloud what's actually going on, which is what's actually going on in the boardroom is there's a bunch of bunch of five, six, and seven year olds in the room who shave right and put on makeup uh, and and act as adults. But every every time you get into a group of people. You are in a group of five, six, seven-year-olds. And that's all that's ever playing out, even if people are using big words. It's very rare that the adults show up in the room. When you understand that, that it's all of us, only all of us, even I'm including myself when I get into a group of people. Uh, I, you know, If I go to a networking meeting, I am in the halls of my freaking junior high school. Right? I have to snap myself out of it, get conscious and realize I am a 60 year old man who is capable of having these, you know, these relationships. I am not ostracized in a junior high school. So when I, when I, when I come from there, when I help grow people up, when I get them present, I tell them I can teach you all these skills. We can play whack-a-mole with the skills and the mindsets and how you behave, or we can get you present. If I can get you grounded and centered and present, that knocks all that stuff out like dominoes. You'll learn how to lead up. You'll be you'll you'll be a better trusted advisor to your boss. You'll be a better teammate to your peers if we can get you conscious, present, and grown up. Uh, and once we do that, and then when you get triggered, how do you get conscious? You know, centered and grown up. You know, we, you're going to get triggered. It's just how do you recover from that? And that and that's where I go with almost all of it. How do you address, um, I'm always curious about this, um, just in general, because there's like this really fine line between mindfulness, um, as a strategy that you can use. That's obviously very effective and mindfulness, like the brand of new wave capitalism that we're all going to avoid burnout by doing more yoga. And there's, um, there's especially in the executive crowd, um, whether they be up and coming or or senior, where there's a resistance to looking inward, to getting grounded and present, to being mindful in a moment, um, to doing introspection and self-awareness work. And a lot of it is more um, 
I don't even know what the right word of it is, but it's like this macho kind of posturing of like having it all together. How For the women you, too. Yeah, it it's cultural. Like it's it's really um it it's across the entire of, of the whole thing. How do you I'm not I'm not even sure how to phrase it, but like how do you deal with that resistance? How do you deal with the fact that some of that language when you say it? Some people are going to hear something different than maybe what you mean and also may be turning away from the very thing that they need in order to actually succeed in the thing that they're trying to do. So the word mindful has never crossed my lips until now. Yeah. I do not. I will never tell you to have a mindfulness practice. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is not going to cut, but um, we're going to go through. So I take real life scenarios. Yep. And then I say, what's going on in your body? What's hap- What's happening to you right now? When you when you just walked out of because I I have I have all my clients get unlimited access to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of them none of them abuse it. But like I'm like if you get out of the if you get out of a meeting with the CEO and he or she threw you to the ground and you're you can't recover, call me. The coaching right in that moment is the most valuable thing we can do, right? Yeah. And we can find out what's going on in your body. Where did you go? What age did you go to? What happened, right? And I have these I have you know I'll have these powerful guys who when, you know, like just falls to the wall, complaining about shit and all that stuff. And then I'll have a three-way with their CEO. And then all of a sudden, no, everything's good. Everything's fine. I'm like, and then we go, we have our conversation. I'm like, what happened? You just had the platform. Why didn't you talk? And he's like, I don't know. And then we found out that he crumbled under authority, you know, like six foot four, you know, professional athlete crumbled under the, and now we find out that that little boy showed up, right? Yeah. How do we grow that little boy up in that situation? And we practice those things. I had one client uh, when I met him uh, and he, I was, I was giving him to coach. He, we went to coffee and he goes, look, he says, I'm going to do this coaching thing, but you're not going to change me. I need some tips, tips and tricks to be more pr- productive. Famous you're, not, you're not going to change me. Yeah. Like, Fine. I'm already paid. Uh, so we, uh, we started having conversations and then, then slowly you start to see he's working until two, three in the morning, every, every day. Uh, right. So, but I can't tell him to delegate yet. Like I can't teach him these skills cause he doesn't know there's a problem with working until two, three in the morning, every single day, being a grumpy, you know, pain in the ass all day long. Like he's just so talented that people overlooked it, but I was asked to help fix that when he ends up in the hospital with a panic attack. He's going to listen to me, right? When I, I, the breakdowns start happening and one, the breakdowns are my opportunity to say, Hey, can we try something different? Can we try something different? Uh, and, and, you know, this guy, you know, couldn't have a, a long-term relationship. Uh, he's now, he's now really joyous, just got his, was promoted to create his dream job in the organization, delegated everything, created new leaders in the organization, breathtaking. Every once in a while I say, do you remember you told me I, was, you were, I wasn't going to change you? And he's like, uh, and I, I got to say, a lot, of these, a lot of these people kind of feel like the, the father, fatherly vibe from me, mm-hmm. you know, so they get really warm with me and, uh, uh, you know, thank me like for, for being that masculine guidance in their lives. Uh, and it's really, it's so rewarding, you know, having adult sons re- has really helped me embody that for these people. Yeah. 
it it's so fascinating because um you know I find that every good coach and every good consultant at some point kind of borders up against being a therapist um, <laughs> to a certain extent because you are dealing with something that is not a hard skill. It's not like a spreadsheet. We're dealing with people who are complex and nuanced and layered. And to your point, there are things that we can't explain. And when we do explain them, typically under the, you know, the, the watch of, you know, experienced professional coach or, you know, an experienced professional therapist are able to actually see that what's going on inside of them is like some sort of deep-seated trauma from their childhood or something like that. And it's, you know, we don't like to talk about it because we like to always. make it seem, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, virtually always, but like, we don't like to talk about because we like to pretend that's not what's going on. So I appreciate your, your candor about all of that. Um, what are, I want to kind of like shift into some, uh, some tactical things. And then um, I want to, I, I realized that we've just been talking for like 40 minutes now and it's felt like effortless. So I absolutely, um, absolutely have to have you back. This was like so much fun. Um, but I want to shift to some tactical things. What are some things that you might recommend to somebody listening that are very tactical, practical, tangible sort of things that they might do to better set themselves up to lead upward, lead across, lead down, lead sideways, lead in any direction. What are some of those things that they might do um, very practically? They could, they could, as soon as they're done listening to this episode, maybe go and think about or write or go through an exercise or something like that. Uh, the first thing I would say, uh, and I think you, I think you can find this on my website. It's in the, it's in the rising leader handbook. Uh, and I have, I have a free worksheet. Yeah. And under the resources, uh, there's a free worksheet, uh, for a, a boss empathy map. Uh, so what we do is, uh, the, the, one of the things I do to humble, uh, my people, uh, is to actually get to know your boss. What are the, what are their goals? What's their vision? Right. What's their skill set? What's their triggers? What's their fear? What's their responsibility? Right. You know, get to know who they are. We also do the same thing with peers. You can't influence people you don't really know. So get to know your peers. And all you have to do is take 10 minutes and just figure out who, what makes each person tick in your world. Right. What are, what are they trying to accomplish? What are they afraid of? What sets them off? Right? We want to do that for ourselves, but once we know those things, once, once um, my client knows that their boss rages at them, not because they're bad, but because their boss is in fear. Right? Anybody who's going to rage at you, right? so anger is a secondary emotion, and it's either covering sadness or fear. And in the workplace, it's usually fear. So it's usually a CEO who feels out of control, and he needs to get control back or he doesn't have the information he needs to make a decision. So he's panicking, right? That, that once you understand that you just need to allay the fear, not get engaged with all that, you can make a huge difference. So getting to know who these people are is the game is the first game changer. The second piece is once you understand that is do you want your ego or do you want to be effective? Uh, because my ego will want me to win arguments. My ego will want to score points. My ego will want to get credit. My ego will want all these things because it thinks that will win rather than going, what is the right thing to do in this situation? And if I don't get credit, you know, can I do that? Uh, so that that's, that's the other piece is constantly that war between 
wanting to be right or wanting to be happy. <laughs> love it. Love all of these suggestions. Um, we, we're cut from the same cloth. I do um, an exercise with clients where I have managers for themselves and for their teams create user guides. So um, I think of it as like, this is the operating manual for me, right? So I have this extremely extensive user guide for myself that's based on my Enneagram profile, my Myers-Briggs, my disc. Okay, what's your Enneagram? Uh, uh, you want to guess it? I can't. Okay. I, uh, I'm an ENFP that actually- no, any, so, Enneagram. Oh, Enneagram. I'm an eight. I'm like a hardcore eight too. Like I'm yeah, like, see, a, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't have picked that up in this conversation. I'm a two. Okay. Right. Two. Interesting. I'm the, yeah. I'm the, ha I'm the happy helper. Right? I get got myself it. from being valuable. Yeah. I always get two and six confused, but two. Okay. Got it. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. When I discovered the Enneagram, I was like, yo, this is creepy as all hell. And the first, I took it two times and it, I got two different numbers and neither of them were quite right. And then I looked at the second place that was like 1% off of the top one and it was eight. And I looked at that and I was like, it is creepy. Anyway. So I put together this extensive user guide and actually wrote a blog post called the five minute, uh, 10 question user guide. And it's just an abbreviated version of what I built for myself, but I encourage teams to do the same thing. And it's like, it's a lot of things you said, what's your triggers, what's your rocket fuel, what's your communication styles? Uh, how do you like to be communicated with? Like, what's the medium? Because I also find a lot of people get triggered sometimes, um, by an expectation that they didn't express to somebody else. And it, that's what kind of sets them off. So I'm 100% with you. Communication, clarity between uh, teammates is is just so essential. Um, so I want to shift into asking you about the shareables, which are just some things that uh, you can recommend to people. But before we do that, what do you think is the clear takeaway from everything that we've covered today, which we've gone down so many different avenues, we've covered so much, and you've been so open and amazing as a guest. But what would you say for someone listening should be the one clear takeaway they should take from this episode? You as a human is the most important thing in the whole equation. So, you know, if you're a billionaire and you're miserable, you're just fucking miserable, right? Uh, if, if you're poor and you're happy, like, who, like, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Do you want to be rich or do you want to be happy? Do you like, do, like the quality of our lives, I finally figured out that the quality of my life is my state is how I'm doing in this moment, not tomorrow, not later. Not, like if I'm not okay, right this minute, life sucks. And it doesn't matter that I'm sitting in a million dollar house or it doesn't matter. Like it just doesn't matter. So the same thing with work, right? it, it, this, this, this slave to that, that grind and that, that pressure uh, is something we think we should do have to do like I used to think if I didn't worry, that means I don't care. Like if I'm not worried, oh my God, I don't care about something. I finally realized I could care about something without worrying about it. You can be on the playing field playing really hard without succumbing to the pressure, but you need perspective to do that. And the only way to do perspective is to spend some alone time and uh, figure out who you are, what you want, what you value, what you care about, what you're willing and what you're willing, not willing to have in your world. I love it, man. I love it. All right. Well, let me get to the shareables. Um, I'm going to ask you just for a few things you would recommend. The idea behind this was very similar to we share things on social media generally that we find interesting that we recommend. So I'm just going to ask you a few things that you would recommend to people so that if they're looking to shift their own algorithms or add something new and unexpected to their list that they could. So first one is what's something you've read that you'd recommend people read? One of my, one of my favorite books I've read, read in a long time is Living Untethered by Michael Singer. 
Uh, most people have read The Untethered Soul, which is an absolutely exquisite book. Uh, Living Untethered is just so practical and clear on how to do everything you and I talked about today. You know, how to understand who you are versus what your character, you know, is trying to be uh, and, and how to pull away from what society is trying to make you into being and how do you create yourself? I think Michael Singer's book, Living Untethered, is, uh, is exquisite for that. Amazing. I will add that to my list. Uh, what's something you've listened to that you'd recommend? This could be a song. It could be an album. It could be an audiobook, It could be a podcast, anything. So long as you could listen to it. Uh, I, I listened to, Oh, I just, I just got another book. I just listened to stolen focus by Johan Hari. Uh, stolen, so stolen focus is, is about the attention economy and our place in it. It basically is talks about the same thing as obesity, mm-hmm. where when we, when we took fat out of food and replaced it with sugar. When we started to use seed oils, when we started, when we started the advertising, uh, obesity became uh, rampant. Uh, and yes, all personal responsibility. We, we should take personal responsibility for our health and all those things. But there's a societal wave that is really almost impossible for most of us to, you know, if you watch baseball on TV, you're going to be hungry and want a car. Right. You just like it's the you're inundated with all this stuff. The attention economy is the same way. Google, Facebook, Instagram, like all they spend billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars and have the most brilliant brains on the world just trying to get you to look at your little red dot like a rat. And we all do it. Even us conscious people do it. Uh, And he talks about the cost that what what it's costing us. And he gives us so, uh, uh, just so much insight into what's happening to us, how we're being manipulated, and then some of the insights on how we can fix that uh, for ourselves. Awesome. I'm going to add that to my list. I feel like that goes really nicely with uh, Cal Newport's Digital Minimalism and uh, Nirayal's uh, Hooked. He actually he actually uh, criticizes both of them. Really? Oh, the then it's definitely going on my the, list. Because Nirayal, Nirayal works for freaking Google. Uh, right. Well, yeah. And so what he's basically what Nir Eyal says is uh, it's personal responsibility. Time block. Turn off your things. Do you fix this because it's your problem, just like the just like obesity. Right. It's yeah. your problem. It's not a societal problem. It's your problem because he works for Google. Yeah. Right. Who wants your attention. Right. Um, and, you know, so he's what he's saying is, yes, it's your responsibility and you're part of this you cannot go into a restaurant without having three TVs in your face. Yep. Not your fault. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. So, so that, uh, cause I, I was, I, Cal Newport and you I, I was a disciple, you know, yeah. especially with ADHD fix you Mark. you have yep. to fix you? I'm and, the problem. It's me. Right. And, and, and Johan is basically like, uh, it's not your fault. It is your responsibility. Yeah. It's not your fault. So that's, that's kind of the difference there. I dig it. Okay. Awesome. I, it's definitely on my list now. It was, it's been circle, uh, like percolating on my, um, you should read this in my audible queue, uh, for a little bit. Like you should check this out. So I'm going to add that. Um, what's something you've watched that you would recommend? It could be a movie, TV show, Ted talk. YouTube. I love this When When, when we, when we talked about this, uh, uh, I had just seen a news, a singer who's been around for decades. Uh, her name is Lettucey and she's a soul singer and a Broadway star. And I watched her do a, a, a song on the Jennifer Hudson show. Uh, and 
I thought I was going to melt into my chair. Uh, uh, yeah, her name is Ledisi, L-E-D-I-S-I. And holy mackerel, that voice. Patty, uh, Patty LaBelle was talking about who she wants to play her in a movie because Jennifer Hudson did uh, Aretha Franklin and she's like, let us see. <laughs> and it's, it's breathtaking. Awesome. 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 I love getting some like music recommendations uh, in these questions because it's rare. I get a lot of like books and audiobooks and Ted talks and things. It's every once in a while. It's nice to just like have something art related. Um, final shareable question uh, is what's something interesting that you've learned that you want to share. And usually what I like with this question is, um, it's sort of like the ADHD question of like, you have a thought and you go and you Google it or you Wikipedia it and you learn something that just randomly crossed your mind. Uh, that's usually the purpose of this. But if you have something profound that you'd like to share instead, whatever it is, it's something you've learned that you'd like to share with people. I, I think this is important because it was really rough for me uh, with AI over the last few months. Uh, I, I am AI years old uh, where I'm done with technology. Like I've been a technology guy. I, I can handle I can handle technology better than my kids, right? I, I've been on the cutting edge for a long time, and I'm I'm great. AI came and I melted down. Uh, I absolutely melted down, and I I, I said I I put uh, into Chat GPT uh, the parameters for my book, and I told them to write. I told it to write a chapter on this part, and I sent it to my publisher, and my publisher was like, "Oh my God, your writing has gotten so tight. It's so good." I said. <laughs> freaking AI. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to need a minute. <laughs> uh, so I, I melted down that, uh, you know, what AI is bringing to the world, how, how it's changing everything we do. Should I even be writing my stupid book if it can write my book better than I can? And uh, after, after that meltdown, it took a couple of weeks for me to just deal with the fact that the world just started moving faster than I can even pretend to keep up. Uh, I started learning how to use AI in my world. Uh, and I started following Twitter threads of people who actually sent guides and all kinds of stuff. And yeah, I watched some YouTube videos and I, st I stopped being afraid of it. And now I'm bringing it into my world. Uh, so learning AI, getting on YouTube and watching a few people who, who know what they're doing will make it so much less scary. There's, it's still going to kill us all, but <laughs> at least we won't be scared yet. That's outstanding. Mark, you've been like such a phenomenal guest. Every once in a while, someone comes along and comes on a show that's just so easy to talk to that like the time just evaporates for me. And I really appreciate you for that. Um, I'm so I'm so proud that my ADHD did not your ADHD. No, oh, oh, this oh, is oh, actually oh. Yeah, you just you calling it out actually just made me remember that's probably almost one of the key factors in it. When neurodivergent people speak to one another, the the cadence, the ability to follow loose threads, the like I find it one of the most calming experiences. Um, when I when I talk to another neurodivergent person, it it just I love it. Um, and I don't know if that's what it was here, but like, I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, tell people where they can go and get in touch with you, where they can learn more about what you're doing, where they can find you leading the way. This is the part for your kind of unabashed self-promotion. Sure. Everything is at markjsilverman.com. Mark, the letter J, silverman.com. There's a, a button for free resources uh, so that you can get, uh, uh, you can also get a copy of my book for free on the website. 
my Rising Leader podcast is on that website. Uh, the Rising Leader program, the 14-week program that starts uh, in mid-May is is on there. So every everything everything Mark J. Silverman is at Mark J. Silverman. Perfect. I will put it all in the show notes and I'm going to grab some of your social handles and throw them in there as well. Um, so to end the episode, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to let you close out the episode and we close it out with gratitude here on the shareable podcast. And we do it, um, in the vein of my book, the lovable leader, which is, uh, when I say lovable leader, usually that causes people to think of someone from their life. And the way I describe a lovable leader is a leader from your life, someone who, uh, cared about you. They really genuinely cared about you and your growth. They were someone that trusted you and someone that you trusted and someone that provided a safe environment for you to pursue your goals, even if you failed. That's what a lovable leader means to me. And I want wow. you to think about someone in your life who is a lovable leader. And what I then do next is I put myself on mute and I ask that you just speak directly to that person as if I wasn't here, uh, or if it helps, you're looking at me, pretend I'm them. But Whatever you want to say, as much or as little gratitude as you want to express to this lovable leader from your past, I think it's always nice to call out and appreciate those who have made an impact on us. Uh, so here I go, muting. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna choose three lovable leaders uh, who are in you know I I believe in having a board of directors that you can trust. I believe in having a, a posse of people, and I have uh, three people: uh, Tony Benici, Christina Berkeley, and Helen Appleby who are my unshakable posse. I lean on them for my personal challenges. I lean on them for my business challenges. They push me out of my comfort zone uh, to do things that I never thought I could do. They see a vision for me, me that you, you guys see a vision for me that I couldn't even fathom. And, I, and I'm surpassing what we even thought. And it's only because of your unshakable support. Uh, I can never be too messy and I can never be too big. And I'm so grateful and appreciative to have people I know I can trust with anything invaluable. So tell me, what was most valuable or useful for you in this episode? Send me a message or hit me up on social media. I'm easy to find, but there's links in the show notes just to make it easy. Seriously, I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple things you could do, starting with subscribing to the show. And after that... Head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show five stars and leave a review. Consider sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. Or just buy me a latte or an old-fashioned by hitting up that tip jar. If you're looking for a good book to read, may I suggest The Lovable Leader, which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. It's built exclusively for brand new managers, and it's a handbook that will serve you well in your journey of leadership. Just search for Lovable Leader wherever books are sold online. And finally, if you're interested in working with me or checking out any of my other projects, go to jgibbard.com. That link, as well as every other link mentioned, will be found in the show notes. Stay safe, be kind, and seriously, share this episode with someone. I'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.